good news is good, but the best news ever is that Jesus died. All right, yeah, we're going that way. We're going that direction. Jesus, he died for us. He died as us. He died in our place. But the good news is not, the, is not that he died and it's not that he stayed dead, but the good news is that he rose from the dead. We talked about a couple weeks ago that if Jesus stayed dead, then his death didn't mean anything at all. It's the fact that he rose from the dead that gives his death meaning for us. And last week we dove in and we talked about the resurrection morning of the events that occurred and the events that happened. The disciples, they were so depressed, they were distraught, they were confused. Um, and the depression of seeing their teacher and friend crucified, especially because all of them abandoned Jesus. One of them betrayed him. And then Peter, we know he denied Jesus three times. Their depression, it turned into confusion. When that Sunday morning they got up and they saw the tomb was empty and they were like, what in the world happened? And then what does this mean? And then their confusion, it turned into joy as Jesus appears to everybody and shows them his resurrected body and says, see, look, it's really me. It's not just fake me. It's my real body. And as he shows the disciples the first time, we, we read that story last week, that they are actually locked behind or they are behind locked doors because they are afraid of the Jews that what happened to Jesus is about to happen to them. That's the first time Jesus comes to them. And he says he comes to the doors, which first of all, like, He's just coming through doors. Like, I'd be scared too. And so the first thing he says is, is like, peace be with you. I'm like, yes, I need that peace right now because you just came through that door. Sorry, that's a whole different thing. Um, but he says, peace be with you. And then he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Tonight we're going to continue that story in John chapter 21. Uh, so if you have your Bible, we are still in John 21. Next week we'll be back in Mark. John 21 we're going to summarize verse 1 through 14. So after Jesus shows himself to the disciples, he does it again. Later, Thomas wasn't there the first time. And so Thomas, he was like, no, I'm not going to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead unless I can actually see Jesus' body and put my hand in his side and put my hand in, um, in, in his holes in his hand. Then I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus, he shows up again just to show Thomas. Uh, and so he, he shows them two times. And then he leaves them. And then the Bible says that Jesus goes and he shows himself alive to 500 more people. That's what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Jesus, he showed himself alive to over 500 people, most of whom are still alive today. I mean, not today, but at the same time he was writing that. Like, that is so much proof to me that Jesus rose from the dead. Like, there's a lot of other reasons. But Paul is like, as I'm writing this, there's 500 people, most of whom are still alive, can testify they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. So that's crazy. So he leaves them. He's off showing himself to other people, doing other things. Um, but Peter and John and the other disciples are confused on what this means for them. They're still confused on, okay, Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He showed himself to us. Now he's gone. What do we do now? So right now they're, just, they're confused. Has anyone ever been confused about Jesus? Maybe about his resurrection. Maybe about, if, like, maybe he's real, maybe he's not. Or maybe have you been confused about, I believe God's real, but what is he doing in my life right now? Anybody? Just me? Okay, good. I'm not alone. The disciples are there. So Peter and six other disciples, they decide, we're going to go fishing, right? Like, that makes sense. That they were professional fishermen before Jesus called them to follow him. And now with Jesus out of the picture, 
they go back to their old way of life. Like, there's some reasons. Like, maybe they didn't know what else to do. Like, they're bored. They don't know what else to do. Jesus didn't give them clear instructions, maybe. Or maybe they were hungry and they knew, like, this is a way we can feed ourselves. We don't know. Either way, Jesus wasn't around. In the disciples, they felt lost. Tonight, when life seems dark or purposeless, when it seems like Jesus isn't there with you anymore, that he has left you, it's easy to go back to your old way of life. So the disciples are fishing, and they go and they fish all night long, but they don't catch anything. And then the story continues. It says, whenever the sunrise was coming, remember last week we talked about how light and darkness are very important themes in John, not just to show like if it's night or day, but they're very significant symbols Darkness is bad, light is good. And so it says whenever the light is coming, when the dawn is coming and, and the light is there, it says Jesus was standing on the shores. But the disciples, they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. And so Jesus, he asked them, he said, hey, have you guys caught anything? Um, and he already knows the answer because he's Jesus. But the disciples, they said, no, we haven't caught anything. And so Jesus is like, okay, how about you throw it on the other side of the net, like the other side of the boat? And so they do. And they immediately catch a huge number of fish, so many that the net is almost torn. And now if you're thinking, like, this sounds familiar, I feel like I've heard this story before, it's because it should. That is the exact same way that Jesus called Peter and Andrew to be the disciples in the first place three years before all this happened. The very first time he met Peter, it was an exact same scenario like this. Peter fished all night long, didn't catch anything. And Jesus is like, hey, you know what, how about you just throw the net on the other side? And Peter was like, no, we've been fishing all night. There's no fish. I'm not doing that. And Jesus is like, just trust me. Peter does it. He catches all these fish. And then that's when Peter decides to follow Jesus. Peter and, and Andrew and James and John, they leave everything that moment. And they follow Jesus for three years without ever looking back. They leave their livelihood, their family. They leave everything to follow Jesus, never turning back until now, it seems. But as soon as this happens, John, he, he, he looks up and he says, that's Jesus, that's the Lord. And so Peter, you know, being the rational and the calm person he is, he puts on all his clothes and jumps in the water and starts swimming to Jesus, leaving everyone else to bring in the boat. That is actually an example of what it means to come to Jesus. Jesus never left you. He's always on the shore of your life. And so whenever we see Jesus, do not wait to go to him. Jump in and swim. Whatever it is that's going on, drop everything and leave it to follow Jesus because Jesus is the priority. That's the example Peter gives us right there. But whenever Peter and the disciples get to the shore, Jesus has a charcoal fire going for them and he's cooking some fish and some bread for them. So you might be thinking, like, what is significant about this fire? Have, have, have you guys ever been around a campfire before? Like, they have a very distinct sense of smell, right? They, they have a very distinct sense of smell. Um, and smells are a cool thing. Smells get locked into our brain with memories that happen around that smell. Like, if you smell something that you smelled from your past... Like you are immediately brought back to that moment where you smelt it, whether the memories are good or bad, like good memories or traumatic memories. Your brain associates smells with memories. And so if we remember a couple weeks ago, we were talking about the Easter story. The last time Peter was around a charcoal fire, 
he was warming himself outside the place where Jesus was being questioned and beat, and Peter was denying Jesus. It's the last time Peter was around a fire like that. And so uh, think about the, the whiplash of emotion Peter's feeling. At, at a moment of joy, he jumps in, he goes to Jesus, he gets to the shore, he smells that fire, and immediately he's brought back to that tragic night of all that memory and all that guilt and all that shame of what it felt like to deny Jesus three times. And so he puts those emotions aside, and it says they sit around the fire, and they eat the fish and the bread. And we don't know what they talk about, but they sit there, and they eat the breakfast. We're going to pick up in verse 15. So if your Bibles will be in verse 15. John chapter 21, 15. Yep, that one. It says, whenever they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to them. You know I love you. Feed my lambs, he told them. The second time he asked them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said, you know I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told them. He asked them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, he was grieved that he asked a third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, whenever you were younger, you would tie your belt and you would walk wherever you wanted to. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, Follow me. Remember, the last time that Peter was around a charcoal fire, he denied Jesus three times. And now that Peter is around that fire again and in the presence of Jesus again, that memory is just as vivid as it was that Friday night. And Peter is again, he's asked three questions about Jesus. He's asked about Jesus three different times. But this time, the questions are different. They're not from the accuser, but they're actually from the accused. Remember, Jesus was the accused one. This time they're not happening before the death of Jesus, but now they're happening after the resurrection. And that means that these questions, they weren't meant to take life from Peter for knowing Jesus as they were that first time. Because remember, the intention that, of, of that girl asking Peter if he knew Jesus was it so that Peter can get wrapped in on all that and take his life? So the questions, they weren't meant to take life for knowing Peter, but they were meant to give life because now the person that is asking the question, he already paid for eternal life for Peter with his own life. The question Jesus asked Peter is, do you love me? Love is at the heart of the gospel. It's love that that compelled God to send Jesus into the world from the first place. We see that in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. And it was love that compelled Jesus to endure the cross with joy. That's what it says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, that Jesus endured the cross with joy. Love is at the heart of the gospel. But this time, Jesus is asking for our love in return. He is saying, do you love me? 
were the love that God had whenever he sent Jesus and the love Jesus had whenever he died for us, will that love now be returned back to God? Will that love be returned to Jesus? And so finally, when Jesus asked Peter the third time, Peter, he gets butthurt. And he's like, Jesus, you know everything. He's like, you know that I love you. You know everything. I believe, or Peter, or Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. This back and forth, I, I believe it was more for Peter's sake than it was for Jesus. Jesus didn't need to hear that three times. Like Peter said, Jesus knows everything. Jesus knows Peter's heart. Jesus knows the repentance that, that Peter had. But I believe that Jesus took his time and he did this three times with Peter because Peter needed to hear him say it three times. Peter must have felt so much guilt, so much shame for what he put Jesus through. So he thought he needed to hear it three times so that he could finally forgive himself. It was for Peter's sake. But Jesus offers us endless second chances. His grace is unbelievable. It doesn't make sense because how unlimited it is. And it was that grace that Peter needed to step into the mission that Jesus had for him and the mission that he was going to give to us. And that mission that Jesus was giving to Peter was feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Shepherd my sheep. And so to feed my sheep, it, it, for Peter, it was to be the leader of the church whenever Jesus ascended into heaven. Because right after this, Jesus is about to get beamed up in heaven and Le Peter was going to be left in charge of things. Like that was kind of scary, right? Like Peter, the one who just jumps into the water and swims with all his clothes on, was about to be in charge of the church. Peter needed the grace of Jesus. But for us, to feed the sheep, to shepherd the sheep, for us it means leading people to Jesus. It means preaching the gospel, telling people who Jesus is. It's about letting people, or telling people they need to spend time with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and do the things that Jesus did. And so we're going to get more into that in the next few weeks. But tonight I want to focus on that last command that Jesus gave to Peter. Follow me. The very last thing Jesus says to Peter is follow me. And remember, that's the, one of the very first things Jesus said to Peter. After Peter catches that fish and, and Peter's like, what in the world has happened? The first thing that Jesus says to Peter is follow me. And now this is one of the last things Jesus is saying. And the first time, it was a very literal sense. It was like, hey, follow me. I'm here right now. I'm walking this way. Take steps and follow me this way. Now Jesus is about to go up in heaven, and, but the command is still the same, follow me. It wasn't like a physical thing because Jesus is about to get taken up. It was a, a, a spiritual thing, a discipline thing, a discipleship thing. And we can only feed Jesus' sheep or lead people to Jesus, bring people to church, tell people about Jesus, what he did in our life, only if we follow Jesus for ourselves. That's why that part's important. We have to follow Jesus first before we can ever do anything that Jesus tells us to do. And so for Peter, the kind of the discipleship, the kind of walk with Jesus that Peter was about to go into, it was one where he was about to have or stretch out his hands and someone was going to tie him up and carry him where he doesn't want to go. Let's go back to that verse in verse 18. It says, Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your own belt and you would walk wherever you wanted. He's basically like, you had free choice. You could go wherever you wanted to. You could do anything you wanted to. That was you. But whenever you grow old, 
you will stretch out your hands and someone else is going to tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. And then John, who's narrating this, he says, he, Jesus was saying this to indicate what kind of death that Peter was going to glorify God with. And then after saying this, he said, follow me. This is important. I want you guys to get this. After Peter receives the forgiveness of Jesus, Peter, he does stand up and he does lead the church. There's all this where Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. He stands up and preaches all this. That's coming. Peter's life, he wholeheartedly follows Jesus. And Peter, he leads many people to Jesus. His life glorifies God in every sense of the way, and especially in the way that he dies. And if you remember anything from the Ephesians series, to glorify God is our main purpose in life. What's our chief reason for existing is to glorify God. In Peter's life, it does that, but his life especially glorifies God in the way that he dies. And so here's how the story goes. As Peter leads the church, it's growing rapidly all over the world. People are coming to Jesus. The church is exploding. People are coming to, to talk about this Jesus thing and, and all this crazy stuff. Uh, but at the same time, so is persecution. People don't like it, especially those in charge, and they want to put a stop to it. And they think that if they can kill the leaders of the church, then they can stop the church. And we know from church history that persecution for Christians, it get worse and worse, especially under the leadership of Emperor Nero. Emperor Nero, this happened about 30 years after Jesus. He was one that was, was kind of crazy in the head. He did some weird stuff. Uh, there's some, some rumors that Rome, the whole city of Rome caught on fire, and they believe Nero started it, and he just sat there on his balcony watching it, and then blamed the Christians for starting it so that he could persecute them more. And then it says, like, he was one, he would, like, light Christians on fire to let them light the, the way. Like, it was crazy stuff. It was evil stuff. They did not like Christians. And Peter was living in Rome at this time. And we know from church history, like, towards the end of Peter's life, about 30 years later after this incident with Jesus, Peter himself was sentenced to death by crucifixion in Rome by Emperor Nero. So here's how church history records it. It says whenever the Christians in Rome found out that Nero had it out for Peter, the Christians, they actually talked Peter into leaving Rome. They said, hey, you need to get out of here. Like you're the leader. You're the one in charge. We need to make sure that you're safe. They actually talked Peter into leaving the city so that he wouldn't get arrested and killed. But the story goes, it says as Peter comes to the gate to leave Rome, he saw Jesus coming to meet him in a vision and it says, whenever Peter saw the Lord, he bowed down and he worshiped him. He says, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered Peter and he says, I came again to be crucified. And when Peter heard this, he knew what his suffering was going to be. He, he was reminded of that day on the shore, on the beach, when, when Jesus was doing all this and telling him all this for the very, for the very first time. He was reminded by this. And so G, or Peter, he knew what he had to do, and he returned back to the city. And so when Peter, whenever he was finally arrested, they crucified him. But at Peter's request, they crucified him upside down because he didn't think he was worthy enough to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. 
And we remember from a couple of weeks ago watching that story, nailing our sins to the cross. Crucifixion was not a beautiful thing. But he didn't think he was worthy to die in the same way as Jesus. Peter used his whole life to glorify God. But listen, we go ahead and come back up. Now, you won't find that story in the Bible. The book of Acts actually stops a few chapters short of that. It stops probably around that time period, but that is recorded in church history, not necessarily in the Bible. I feel like I have to tell you that because everything I usually say is from the Scripture and the truth. But Romans chapter 12, Paul, he's writing to the Romans. He's writing to Christians, but he's also writing to me and you. And he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters... In view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. He says, in view of the mercies and grace of God. For Peter, we know what that was. It was Peter, Jesus, he was saying, like, Peter, I forgive you. God's grace is unlimited. He gives us endless second chances. His grace is unbelievable. And Paul is saying, in view of that, because of how freely God forgives you, because of how freely he nails your sins to the cross, the only logical thing for you to do, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Basically, live your life as if you are dead to your old one. A sacrifice is where we go when we sacrifice something. It's something that's dead. But he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Die, that means dying to your old self, sacrificing yourself, dying to your old self, and living in that new way of life in Jesus. And he says, this is holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true worship. Other translation says, this is your spiritual worship. But one of my favorite ways to translate that word is, this is your logical worship. This is the only rational way to worship God. It is to die to yourself and to live to God. It's saying, everything I have is yours, Jesus. Here is my life. I want to die to myself and I want to live in you. When Peter saw Jesus that morning, He jumped in and he swam to Jesus with everything he had. He left everything behind. Tonight, jump in and follow Jesus. Don't leave any regrets. Don't leave any reservations. This part's not in the notes at all. But you you guys are in the prime spot of your life to make a difference in the world, to make a difference for the kingdom of God. You won't have this much interaction with people in general, once you leave school, high school, once you graduate, almost any other time in your life. And especially now with unbelievers, those who don't know Jesus but need to know Jesus, you won't have this many opportunities to make a difference in the world by sharing the gospel, by sharing your testimony, by sharing what Jesus did in your life. We'll get more into that in the next few weeks, but jump in, follow Jesus. Don't leave any regrets. Don't say, I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have started reading my Bible earlier. I wish I would have gave my life fully to God. Because if I promise you, once you do, once your life is wholeheartedly in Jesus' hands, you will be wondering, why didn't I do this years before? Don't leave any regrets. Don't leave any reservations. Come to Jesus. It's the best life you can live here on earth. And we do that by repenting of our shortcomings and our failures, where we know we messed up, where we know we don't meet the bar that is Jesus, repent of those 
and humble yourself under Jesus and receive his mercy and his grace and forgiveness. Choose tonight to follow Jesus even if it means death. Death to your old self, death to your old way of life, death to your old habits, maybe even death to your old friends. Like, I'm sorry, I just can't hang out with you anymore. I'm a new person. If you want to know what happened to me, ask me. Come to my church. Find out about Jesus. But if you don't, I, I'm sorry, I can't hang out with you anymore. I can't do that. It's death to your old music. It's death to your old habits. Leave it all behind and follow Jesus. So tonight, that's the altar. Worship team or the rest of the worship team, if you want to go ahead and come back up. I want everyone else to go ahead and stand. As the worship team leads us in another song, I'm not going to ask you guys to bow your head. I'm not going to ask you guys to raise your hand. But as they lead us in the song, ask yourself this question. I'm asking this right now. What is one thing keeping you from following Jesus? Maybe, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus before. Tonight's a perfect night. Come find me. What's one thing keeping you from following Jesus? For the rest of us, for the Christians, what's one thing keeping you from following Jesus wholeheartedly? What's one thing keeping you from jumping in and swimming, looking like a fool in the, in the eyes of the world? What's one thing you need to let go of and die to? It can be a sin. It can be a habit. It can be a lie you're believing about yourself or about someone else. It can be a bad influence in your life. Tonight, the practice is come to the altar, close your eyes, sit down where you are, pray. Identify what that is. Repent of it and ask God to free you from it. Leave it here at the altar and follow Jesus in replace of that. That's the, that's the takeaway. That's the practice. Find that thing. Repent of it. Ask God to free you from it. Leave it here. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. Holy Spirit, illuminate what that is in our hearts and our spirits. Help us to free it, to give it to you, God. Help us to submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.